Welcome to A Beggar Who Found Bread. I'm Brad, I'm your host, and I'm a beggar. I found the bread of life, Messiah Yeshua, and I want others to know where I found this bread that they may be set free. This episode, Ransom. Give credit to Blink182 for the title to this episode. And full disclosure here, I don't know a whole lot about Blink182, except the band name is Blink182. It's not Blink182 or Blink182. It's Blink182. The pop punk band hails from Poway, California. That's right. Shout out to my BFF in Poway. 619 represent. What? Okay, sorry about that. The name of the band doesn't really have any significance as some would like to think. In the early 90s, they were going by a couple of different names. Then they made the album Cheshire Cat under the name Blink. Well, a band in Ireland by that same name sent them a cease and desist letter claiming copyright infringement. They were going by that name first. So on a phone call, they just added the numbers 18-2. No, there's, there's no other conspiracy theory or anything to the numbers or to the name of this band. The number has no tie whatsoever to the number of times Al Pacino uses the F word in the movie Scarface. I don't even know how people come up with these kind of things. Anyway, that's not for me to know. But what I do know is, it's not about the music anyway. It is about the message, Ransom. At the time of this recording, we are in the midst of the fall feasts and days of Adonai. If you find yourself listening to this recording, and it's not in the fall, that's okay. Because this can give you time to prepare and think about things that are to come. The Day of Trumpets has uh, just passed. We have gone through the Days of Awe. And now Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is upon us. After this comes Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Booths. Now we've discussed these and other Moadim, appointed times of Adonai, at least a few times on this podcast. And the point I try to draw people to is that Each of these days and feasts illuminate the Messiah, Yeshua. And thus, I believe we, Christians, followers of the Messiah, Yeshua, should honor and observe these days. I think the common sentiment from those who are familiar with these days in some way, they they believe that since Yeshua fulfilled these days, we don't need to involve ourselves in the annual observation of them. We simply focus on him. And so I certainly don't argue against daily devotion to Hashem through Yeshua. That's kind of the, the point of all of Scripture, is that is that we would turn to God through the Messiah. So I believe that understanding and observing these days brings more clarity to what Adonai Elohim has done through Yeshua and what is to come. Because I firmly believe there will be a latter fulfillment of these days in Messiah's return, the establishment of 
his kingdom on earth and the final judgment. Yom Kippur is actually a picture of final eternal judgment. The letter written to Hebrew believers contains much regarding the comparison and fulfillment of Yom Kippur by Yeshua. I'm going to read a couple passages from Hebrews, uh, one from chapter 9 and one from chapter 10, but I encourage you, please read this short letter in its entirety to gain complete context. Study to show yourself approved of God. And this book has always been one of my favorites in scriptures, the book of Hebrews. So we'll take a quick look from Hebrews chapter 9. We'll start at verse 11. But when Messiah appeared as Kohen Gadol, high priest of the good things that have now come, passing through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, he entered into the holies once for all, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Then we'll jump to chapter 10 and verse 11 of Hebrews. Indeed, every Kohen priest stands day by day serving and offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But on the other hand, when this one offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from then on until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those being made holy. The reference in this passage to this one, of course, refers to Messiah Yeshua. So the common evangelical interpretation or understanding is that since Yeshua, Jesus, fulfilled the requirement of Yom Kippur, the atonement sacrifice, this day is insignificant. It pointed us to Yeshua. He has now come, so we can move on from those days and times and feasts. They're, they're no longer relevant. Also, it is taken by many evangelicals that since the one-time offering of Yeshua takes care of everything. One time of confession, repentance, and a declaration of faith in God through Messiah is all that is necessary. So I'm going to challenge you, as D.T. Lancaster puts forth this challenge, go through the New Testament writings, start at Matthew, and Go completely through Revelation, and with a green highlighter, highlight in green every passage that specifically, clearly says, you are to rely on grace with no fear of the consequences of sin. Then, go back through, same passages, same writings from Matthew through Revelation, New Testament writings, and highlight in yellow every passage that specifically says to confess sin, to repent of sin, 
and to fear the consequences of sin. That, I believe, should be a wake-up call to any who attempt to dispel the notion of the continuing need for confession and repentance for those who are in Christ, in Messiah. You will have a fairly yellow, highlighted New Testament if you do that, if you do it that way. There are uh, two sides to this coin, of course. And so one is that we do not lose the significance of Messiah's crucifixion in observing Yom Kippur. And I get that. And there's, there are those who do lose sight of that. And there's a lot more to that. And one day, Lord willing, we can, we can dig more into, into that. Um, but, you know, we should obviously not lose the significance of Messiah's crucifixion in observing Yom Kippur. The other side of that coin is that we should not lose the significance of Yom Kippur in the crucifixion of Yeshua. Since, since this day leads and points us to him, should we not seek to understand and give honor to this day? It is a day of fasting, of repentance, of reflection, of prayer. And once more, since this day also points to final judgment, should we not observe and practice this for that time? Paul says that the days and feasts are shadows of the true heavenly reality. So shouldn't we practice these things here and now, in this life now, in preparation for what is to come? When you think about athletes, you think about um, an Olympic athlete who runs the 100-meter dash, that, that race takes... It takes 10 seconds to run, right? Boom, 10 seconds and it's over. But how much work and practice goes into running that race in that amount of time? How much work and preparation goes into it? Yes, it is that one moment, that one moment in time, boom, it's 10 seconds long and and then it is over. But how much work goes into that? And that is a comparison, an analogy, if you will, of... Final judgment. Yes, that moment in time is going to come, and that moment in time will come and go and will probably be very quick in that, in that moment when judgment is pronounced. But how much work needs to be done to go into preparation for that time? The Day of Atonement is about forgiveness. It is about pardoning and atonement. And yes, it is absolutely true in Messiah that we do not need to wait for one day a year to put this into practice. This is something we should do on the daily. This should be our daily life, a life of repentance, a life of confession, a life of intercession for others. So this day should serve as a reminder to those of us who are in Messiah of the great work the all-sufficient one, El Shaddai, has done for us through Yeshua. Forgiveness 
forgiveness, pardoning, and atonement. So forgiveness is the forfeiting of one's rights to retaliation and anger. And we seek this from Adonai. We seek his forgiveness that he would forfeit his right to anger and retaliation against us for our sin. To pardon is to relieve one of the obligation or release them from their obligation to pay a debt or compensate for injury or loss. We seek this from Adonai. We seek a pardon from our obligation to pay our insurmountable debt to him. We seek this pardon. And hallelujah, we read, we read in Isaiah of the abundant pardon that God has provided for us through the Messiah, Yeshua. Atonement. Atonement is to pay a ransom for a deficit. In this case, a spiritual deficit caused by our offense, that is our sin, our transgression of God's law. This deficit creates an obstacle between the offender, the sinner, and the Holy One, Adonai Elohim, the Lord our God. In seeking atonement, we ask Adonai to atone or to expiate the deficit by paying a ransom on our behalf. When we study the scriptures, we see the deficit we owe is our very life. The wages of sin is death. So an unblemished life must be offered to atone for the blemishes, sins of the offender. This speaks to the importance of finding the best of one's flock or herd to be offered as sin offerings. An unblemished one to atone for the blemished one. We know that Yeshua is the unblemished Lamb of God. All other sacrifices pointed to him, and he was offered one time for all. Hallelujah. So it should be recognized, Yom Kippur is also a day of intercession. This is an important aspect of Yom Kippur. The priests and high priests offered sacrifices on behalf of all the people, the entire nation, for all their sin, the known and the unknown. And while I, I do not personally believe, and I, I think scripture bears this out, that we do not replace the Levitical priesthood because... There will be a role for them once again in the coming kingdom. And so I don't believe we replace the Levitical priesthood. I do believe, however, we have priestly obligations regarding intercession. And both in, in the book of Exodus as well as in Peter's writings, we read that Adonai wants his people to be a royal priesthood. I believe that we limit our understanding of intercession and intercessory prayer. Um, and it's mostly limited to that of praying for someone who is sick um, or maybe facing financial troubles, having relationship problems, and so on. And so we intercede on their behalf. And yes, intercession includes these things, of course. Even as Yeshua told Peter that Satan desired to sift him as wheat, he then states, but I have prayed, 
I have prayed for you that your faith not waver. And that is another key part to intercession. Because even when we pray, we pray for those being persecuted. We hear the stories and our hearts break and we're even fearful for them. Our prayer shouldn't be that people avoid persecution. The scriptures state clearly that it is going to happen to followers of the Messiah. There will be persecution. Our prayer should be that their faith not waver under persecution, that they maintain, that they stand firm under persecution, stand firm in their faith. Additionally, as we consider intercession, particularly with regard to Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, we should look at the common definition, which is to stand in the gap. This is what the priests did with these offerings. They stood in the gap, interceding for the people, offering sacrifices for the sins of others. The greatest intercession ever is, of course, that of Messiah Yeshua, as he stands in the gap, not only as high priest presenting an offering, but as the very sacrifice and offering for the sin of the people. And I believe we are supposed to do likewise for ourselves. And when I say likewise, I'm referring to the work that these priests did. For ourselves, we must first seek that forgiveness, pardon, and atonement. And then we should seek it on behalf of others that the Father would forgive, pardon, and atone for the sin of our brothers and sisters, the known and the unknown. My contention is this. When we intercede in such a way on behalf of a brother or sister, if our expectation, based on his promises, God's promises that we see in his word, if our expectation is that Adonai forgives, pardons, and atones for us, He will do the same for others, even as we intercede for them. If the expectation is forgiveness, pardoning, and atonement, then we too must lay aside our own anger. We must forfeit our right to retaliation. We must release people from any obligation to compensate or pay a debt as we trust the ransom has been paid. The atonement has been made through Yeshua and that it is sufficient. If it satisfies the Father, then it should undoubtedly satisfy us. If God can forgive, pardon, And because he has atoned, then who are we to withhold pardon and forgiveness? One other aspect of the Day of Atonement that I believe is important for Christians to factor in as they consider whether or not it matters if we observe this day. And again, I'm always going to lean on this day clearly points to Messiah Yeshua If it is your desire, if you are his disciple and you have this this desire within you to honor and to follow him, to, to 
to do as he has done and to honor him in your life. You should look to these days as a time to do that, to reflect on the amazing work God has done through the Messiah, Yeshua. This is not something that we should turn away from or move forward from. This is something that we should remember, that we should focus on and remember all that God has done. It's so amazing. But one other factor for Christians to consider um, as, as they as they weigh whether or not this day matters if we observe it and that of the other feast days as well. So for scriptural reference to this day, um, I will encourage you to take a look at Exodus chapter 30. You can look at Leviticus 23, certainly, and Leviticus 16. Uh, actually, th- those would be the starting places to look for things, and Leviticus 16 ha- is very well laid out. It has the instructions for the priests and how the uh, sacrifices, offerings are made. And as most know, this is the one time of the entire year that the high priest could enter into the holy holies, the most holy place within the tabernacle or temple. He would first enter into the, the holy place and he would, uh, the high priest would have to make sacrifice for his own sin first before he could go in on behalf of the people. Now we know Yeshua did not need to make an offering for himself as he was tempted in all points as we are yet without sin. He did not need to make an offering for himself. Then the high priest after the high priest after he would make an offering on his own behalf, he would then present the offerings on behalf of the sin of the people. He would then go into the Holy of Holies and intercede on behalf of the people. In Leviticus 16, we read that after accomplishing this, the the time of intercession in the Holy of Holies, that the high priest would exit step out of the Holy of Holies into the holy place, and he would remove his linen garments. He would bathe in a mikvah, and he would do this in the holy place, and then he would put on his golden garments, which are described in Exodus 39. So the high priest enters into the Holy of Holies after offering the sacrifices, after and, and then after making intercession within the Holy of Holies, he steps out into the holy place where only he and the priests are allowed. So when the high priest emerges from the Holy of Holies, this signifies to the priests that the sacrifice has been accepted. The sacrifices have been accepted on behalf of the people. He then steps out. His linen garments are covered in blood as he emerges from the, holy of, uh, from the Holy of Holies. He then removes those garments, bathes in a, in a mikvah, and puts on the golden garments of the high priest. He then presents a burnt offering, the sweet-smelling savor that rises up to Adonai. When the rest of the people see the high priest arrive out of the tabernacle or temple, They rejoice knowing 
Adonai is satisfied. The offering was sufficient. The offering on their behalf was sufficient. In Yeshua, we see the unblemished sacrifice made on the crucifix. He entered into the tomb. His life presented to intercede. It was offered for the sin uh, of all the people. He emerges from the tomb that was dug out by the hands of men. He emerges from there in new garments, a glorified body, revealing to those who witnessed that he is, that, that those who, <laughs> revealing to those witnesses as the true high priest, which he is, that the sacrifice was accepted on their behalf. Again, a, this is a picture of Yom Kippur, and Yom Kippur is a picture of him. We see the connection here. He did this here on earth. And as Hebrews tells us, now that he has ascended to the Father, he is now in the true tabernacle and holy of holies, not made with human hands. As we read in chapter 7 of Hebrews, starting at verse 23, now on the one hand, many have become Kohanim priests who through death are prevented from continuing in office. But on the other hand, the one who does remain forever has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who draw near to God through him, always living to make intercession for them. Yeshua remains forever, and he always lives to make intercession for those who draw near to God through him. He is in the true holy of holies, making intercession for those who draw near to Adonai Elohim through him. Now, let's think about what we read of his return when he emerges from the true holy of holies. We read in Revelation, beginning at verse 11, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one riding it, Writing on it is called faithful and true, and he judges and makes war in righteousness. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and many royal crowns are on his head. He has a name written that no one knows except himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean were following him on white horses. I believe this is the true revelation, a true revelation of the day of atonement. Even as I said that that I believe it is it is the the final revelation of it will be on the day of final judgment, eternal judgment. But in this picture, Messiah, the high priest, emerges from the Holy of Holies in a bloodied robe. The armies, the priests, dressed in white linen, clean, they see as he emerges, the sacrifice has been accepted on behalf of all the people, the sin of the people, and they follow him. We then read of the resurrection of the righteous, the thousand-year messianic era, and eventually we get to the final eternal judgment 
where I believe seated on the white throne of judgment in golden garments, the garments of the true high priest, he will pronounce the fate of each individual. My only hope is in Yeshua, the acceptable sacrifice offered on my behalf. It's not on the merit of anything I have done or will do, but only on the merit of the favor Yeshua found in the Father's eyes, deeming him the ransom to atone for my sin, to pardon me from my obligation of debt and to forfeit his right to anger and retaliation against me. This annual day is a memorial of the replacement sacrifices that have been offered. It is a reminder of the great atoning sacrifice offered by the Father, Yeshua the righteous, and it is a picture of eternal judgment. It's a reminder to live a life of repentance for one's self and of intercession for others. Yes, Even for believers, there are consequences for sin. As I said, and more importantly, as Scripture spells out New Testament writings, there are consequences for sin in this life and the next. From 1 Corinthians 3, the Apostle Paul writes, According to the grace of God, which was given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and another builds on it. But let each consider carefully how he builds on it. For no one can lay any other foundation than what is already laid, which is Yeshua the Messiah. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed by fire. And the fire itself will test each one's work, what sort it is. If anyone's work built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but as through fire. So this to me, even gives the image of the burnt offering that is presented after atonement has been made. Some things are going to be burned up. Others will survive. There's a reward for those, for those whose works survive. And for those whose works are burned up, that which is wood, hay, or straw, that one will suffer loss though he himself will be saved, but as through fire. And we we see, again, that that he will be saved. And to me, this speaks to what Yeshua said in Matthew chapter 5. And I I believe this, this clears up some things as people who uh, seem to be harsh in their judgment of others or, or, um, Anyway, I'm just going to, let me read the passage. Matthew 5, we'll start at verse 17. Yeshua is speaking. Do not think that I came to abolish the Torah or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Amen. 
I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or serif shall ever pass away from the Torah until all things come to pass. I'm going to pause here for a second. That's after verse 18. The Torah still applies. Yeshua did not come to abolish it. Okay? Making this very clear here. Yeshua, Yeshua said it. And that, uh, that uh, is a direct quote, his words, Torah is still applicable. He goes on, therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, this one shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and Torah scholars, you shall never enter the kingdom of heaven. So whoever keeps and teaches the commandments shall be called great in the kingdom. Whoever breaks the least of the commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom. Some are called great. And some are called least. If they are followers of the Messiah Yeshua, they are in the kingdom. Great and least in the kingdom, still in the kingdom. The only way to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees and the Torah scholars is a life of faith in Messiah Yeshua, a life surrendered to follow him and walk as he walked doing as he did. And we know that he did. He lived a life of obedience through love and faith. He did so. And so we are to walk as he walked and we must put trust in the sufficiency of his sacrifice for atonement, for pardoning, and for forgiveness for where we fall short. Perhaps if we think of the Day of Atonement as a day of national exorcism, or we can even say worldwide, but national speaking of the inclusive nation of Israel, Jew and grafted in Gentile. But if we think of the Day of Atonement as that, an, an, an exorcism, a ridding of evil, we can think also of when the disciples returned to Yeshua and they asked him why they couldn't cast out a certain demon. And he responded that this type only comes out by fasting and prayer, that exorcism. This is what we do on Yom Kippur. We fast and we pray. This kind can only come out by fasting and prayer. That is what we do again on this day. And my prayer is, yes, that Yeshua would and will exercise, remove any evil from within me and from within us, his body, the, all, the, the whole of Israel, Jew and grafted in Gentile. I hope this has blessed you. I encourage you, please study to show yourself approved of God. Thank you for giving me your time. There is a common saying in these false fall feasts. There's a couple of them uh, among the Jewish people. And 
First, uh, on the day of trumpets, Yom Teruah, a common saying is, may you have a good inscription. And this is said at, at trumpets because it refers to one's name being written in the book of life. On the day of atonement, which represents final judgment, the saying is, Gemar Chatim Tova. And this means a good final sealing, which is, again, receiving the good seal of approval, a good final sealing to you. Gemar Chatim Tova. So may you and may we all finish with a good inscription in the Lamb's Book of Life and sealing in Messiah Yeshua. I'm a beggar who found the bread of life, Messiah Yeshua, and I want others to know where to find this bread that they too may find forgiveness, pardon, and atonement. Let's go out and give them heaven. And once more, Gamar Chatim Tova. Shalom.